This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 10th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Time is of the essence to adjust the Electoral Count Act so that the confusion it helped spur after the last presidential contest doesn't happen again. Cato's Tommy Berry explains why bipartisan reform is possible and why now is better than later. So I've talked to Walter Olson, uh, your colleague, about the Electoral Count Act and how it ought to be fixed. In general, what are the elements of the Electoral Count Act? Sure. So in broad strokes, the Electoral Count Act is the law that regulates how Congress conducts the counting of the electoral votes for president every four years. This is something the Constitution requires. It mandates that the electors don't meet in Washington, D.C. They each meet in their respective states, the 538 electors who compose the Electoral College, and they mail their votes, old school style, to Washington, D.C. And the Constitution mandates that the vice president, the president of the Senate, opens it in the presence of the House and Senate, and then the votes are counted. That's all the Constitution tells us. The Electoral Count Act takes us the rest of the way. It explains that they're opened in alphabetical order. It explains that Congress has a Uh, the opportunity to challenge a vote if they don't think it's valid or if they don't think it was cast as the Constitution requires. And it says that if and only if a majority of both houses vote to reject uh, a purported ballot, it doesn't count in the electoral college totals, which could potentially have uh, an effect on the outcome of the election, which is why the Electoral Count Act is receiving a great deal of attention. All right. Well, where is the ambiguity? in the Electoral Count Act. What you just said sounds perfectly clear to me. The key problem is how or and why would Congress be justified in actually rejecting an electoral vote? The ambiguity in the text of the act is that it simply says Congress can reject a vote if it was not regularly given or if it was not lawfully certified, but it doesn't define either of those terms. Looking at the debates at the time it was passed, it seems that those were intended to be very narrow categories, very unlikely circumstances, such as the electors not meeting on the day required by law or not signing their votes as the Constitution requires. Uh, But the key ambiguity is that some think that gives Congress carte blanche to relitigate the entire conduct of the general election, to say, I think there was shenanigans in the vote in this particular county in Pennsylvania, therefore the electoral vote was not regularly given. And that's the ambiguity that reformers hope to eliminate. So uh, Donald Trump recently uh, made a public statement basically arguing that the vice president at the time was Mike Pence. could have overturned the election if he had wanted to. Mike Pence, of course, says that is wrong uh, and even consulted with uh, previous vice presidents about what his role ought to be under that law. It seems as if um, we're sort of depending on the goodwill and propriety of individual vice presidents for uh, getting the electoral count correct. So what what should we do? What should Congress do in order to clarify the Electoral Count Act so that the discretion is not in Congress uh, on that day? 
Yes, this is this is a problem. Another problem with the text. It says that the vice president shall preside over the count, but it doesn't give the details as to what power presiding entails. Uh, there's a fringe constitutional theory that the Electoral Count Act itself is unconstitutional to the extent it uh, circumscribes the vice president's power. This is the theory that because the vice president opens the votes, he must inherently have the power to count and decide any issues with them. Uh, there's no historical or textual evidence that that's correct. The Nearly every law professor is in unanimous agreement that Congress does have the power that it exercised in the Electoral Count Act to give itself that ultimate authority. But a revised Electoral Count Act should make that much more explicit, should say what presiding entails and what it does not entail, and should uh, clarify that the only way to toss out a vote is if both houses of Congress agree. Yeah, because on January 6th, 2021, just uh, days before Joe Biden uh, took office, we had this riot. I think you heard about it. And um, it seems that pretty much everything leading up to that fight uh, implicated the Electoral Count Act and whether or not there was this discretion that that existed. So what kind of expectation do you have with respect to how Congress could in a bipartisan fashion, pretty much agree to tighten up the rules governing how electoral votes get counted. The hope uh, and the optimism comes from the fact that both parties stand to benefit from clarifying the Electoral Count Act. Nobody knows in any given future election which party is going to be at risk, which party is going to win. Obviously, the vice president was a Republican in 2020. It's going to be a Democrat in 2024, and no one knows who it will be in subsequent elections. In the long term, Republicans have a strong interest in strengthening the Electoral Count Act because Republicans are often the party that more strongly defends the Electoral College process itself that more strongly defends the value of having an electoral college rather than moving to a national popular vote for president. So for those who are supporters of an electoral college system, it's in their interest to have a strengthened and robust method of counting the electoral college votes that isn't uh, isn't suspect or doesn't have the potential for that vote to be compromised. Tell me about the 20th Amendment. This is one of the wonkiest uh, issues that's come up, and unfortunately, no one so far proposing uh, a reform of the Electoral Count Act has has picked up on this problem. The 20th Amendment in 1933 most famously moved the date of the presidential inauguration earlier in the calendar from March 4th to January 20th. Less famously, it created succession rules for the pre-inauguration period. As we all know, if the president dies, the vice president becomes president. What happens if the president-elect dies? No one really knew until the 20th Amendment. It says explicitly that the vice president-elect is inaugurated on January 20th if the president-elect dies. And likewise, it says if the president-elect fails to qualify, for example, it suddenly comes out that the president-elect is 30 and was pretending to be 35, which is the Constitution's minimum age, that the vice president-elect then acts as president. the problem with Electoral Count Act proposals we've seen so far is they lay out minimum narrow grounds for rejecting an Electoral College vote. That's good. But one of those narrow grounds would be that the president is dead or that the president is disqualified. That's not the way to solve this problem. The way to solve this problem is to simply follow the 20th Amendment. Count the votes for a dead president-elect or an ineligible president-elect, and then invoke the 20th Amendment so that the vice president-elect is inaugurated. If you toss out the votes for someone who can't serve as president, you're only making their opponent 
president instead. In other words, the party who controls the White House would switch. And that's just too much power to give to Congress and not necessary now that we have the 20th Amendment. It also would seem to create some weird, uh, awful incentives. Exactly. You find, you know, purported evidence that the president isn't a natural born citizen, convince enough members of Congress and you can switch the White House power. Uh, If you follow the 20th Amendment's uh, proposal or its framework, all you can do is make the vice president elect acting president. So you can't switch party control. How likely do you think it is for one Congress to actually come to some agreement to tighten up the rules for uh, the Electoral Count Act, but also make sure that they are cognizant of the clear rules under the 20th Amendment? I think we're definitely on a tight timeline, which is why we have such a sense of urgency in Congress right now. The later we get and the closer we get to the 2024 election, the more people know about who the candidates will be or who stands to gain or lose, the less likely it is to pass something in a bipartisan fashion. Right now, while we're behind the veil of ignorance before the midterm election, before the 2024 campaign unofficially kicks off, is the best opportunity for both sides to simply approach this uh, from an objective point of view, thinking about the long term rather than the immediate future. I think we should follow the wisdom after the 1876 Tilden Hayes election almost led to a constitutional crisis. During the debates, one member of Congress explicitly said the most important thing about the Electoral Count Act is that it will be permanent rules for every election rather than trying to come up with a solution in the heat of the moment, which is what happened with the 1876 uh, ad hoc presidential commission. When you try to come up with solutions in the heat of the moment, everyone assumes that both parties are just trying to benefit themselves. Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute's Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 